Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. We're better, we're better, you're mad cause we are better than you, than you, than you, than you. We told them we better than the rest of them, watch out. Today on the show is James Vincent McMorrow. He's here primarily to talk about a new project he's working on. It's called Co-Living Culture, along with David Anthony Curley, formerly of Otherkin, and the mysterious Cody Lee. They've put out a big, banging dance track called Renegator, which you can hear in full at the end of the show. It's out on Faction Music Group's newest imprint, Lost Decay, which they say is going to specialise in all things house, electronica, and everything in between. It's a bit of a follow-up to the track Out the Gap that James made with Denise Chyla, God Knows, and Circa Richardson last year. He says during our interview that they should have put that one out under the co-living name as well. So it sounds like that is going to make for an interesting project going forward. From the press release, for Renegator. I'll read a little bit. <clears throat> In the last five years, so much has changed. We are of the opinion that cultural and art spaces are the beating heart of a city, but so many of them have been taken away and replaced with structures that aren't meant for those who occupy the city at all. Musicians will always figure it out, how to make music, how to play it live. This song is meant as a love letter to that idea. It's a love letter to the pure unbridled joy that only music can bring. To dance culture, to 90s house music, to flicking through stations in the car as a kid until an absolute banger comes on and then turning it all the way up so everyone on the street could hear what you were playing, could hear what the music said about you. Music is culture, culture lasts forever. So that sets us up nicely for what to expect in this chat. We also talked about the test gig that James played a couple of weeks ago at Ivy Gardens, as well as his upcoming fifth album, Grapefruit Season, which is coming in September. This interview was recorded last week ahead of the first game of the NBA playoffs. So I couldn't not talk about basketball for that, knowing that James is a big basketball fan. We had Erica Cody on a couple of weeks ago, so I got a little bit out of my system talking to her about it, now talking to James about it. So any more musicians in Ireland who are basketball fans, you know, maybe eventually we'll get some sort of sports side project going talking about the NBA. That would be interesting. Trying to equate it to music. Got all these ideas floating around my head for it. Hit me up. Hit me up. For those wondering, we're three games into the NBA finals at the time of talking. I think our our chat holds up about it. So I have left it in. We don't make any wild predictions that turn out to be incredibly wrong. But we began the chat by talking about music, by talking about Renegator. James explains how it was created in the clinic recording studio run by David Anthony Curley on the same day, or around the same time anyway, that it was announced Dublin venue Jigsaw was going to be closing down. I'll let James take it from there. And I think we were just talking about the fact that there's just like no places really to go anymore like that like you know like when i started making music in dublin and probably like 2010 2011 all of those spots like block t bernard shaw were such good places to go because 
like they were empty and all these big huge companies just like basically discarded them and handed them over to to like everybody to use and it was just places to like sort of incubators for like great music and great ideas and that's all I mean you know I'm not as tapped into like culture on that level anymore so I could be wrong but it just struck me and it struck us that like there just doesn't seem to be like a proliferation of those spots anymore like places that like you can really go and be around people that are, are kind of trying to, to like, you know, create something um, in that sort of like organic way. And you don't have to, it's not necessarily like, there's obviously places like, you know, my, my drummer Paul owns this place called Yellow Door Studios. And he's got a lot of great people in there, like bands and stuff like that. But that's like, you're in, you're in, that's, you know, it's a different context. It's, it's more specific. It's not as just like an osmosis based as like just places that were just generally cultural. So we just started talking about that and just how we were sad to see it all go and, and sort of questioning the inevitability of why all those places have to fade. So then we just were like, what if we just made some absolute bangers <laughs> just to kind of celebrate the idea of those places? Because again, you know, usually when those conversations try and get started, it tends to be quite like like intense and, and, the, and the music, if, if, if art tends to get created around it, it tends to be quite intense art, sort of like, I don't know, uh, eulogizing the demise of these things. Whereas I thought it would be more interesting to just kind of celebrate the idea of it and the potential for it to maybe come back and, and just to have some fun, really. I think it was at that point, like this year as well, where like it looked like things were opening up and then suddenly things were shut again. And we just kind of wanted something to make ourselves feel better on the day. So that's where we started from. Right. There's a lot to unpack there. Maybe we'll talk about that idea that, you know, you don't really play those venues anymore, but you're very aware of them still, those small venues, which are key kind of incubators for younger artists. Is that kind of almost the future worry that you see? If these venues aren't here, where is the next crop of musicians going to come from? No, you know, I've said it before. I said it around that show I played a couple of weeks ago that like musicians will always figure it out. Like they'll always just figure something out. Artists in general will always figure it out because we've gotten very used to not being high on the priority list. Like even for people like me, like that are like higher up the, I guess, ladder, if you want to use that term, like my interaction with, you know, the government and is no healthier than it was when I was, you know, a kid trying to like make my way. Um, I don't expect anything from them necessarily. And I didn't in the beginning. And I think that that's sort of, why it'll always figure itself out you know like people will always find those places but i guess my disappointment is the transient nature of those places is that like you can't rely on on the government having the like like having your back right like that you're 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 not gonna like find a place like when we used to go to block t and stuff like that we always knew this is not this is going to end because someday the economy is going to be in a place where this is economically viable again for whoever owns the building and they're going to come in and snatch it back this is exactly what happened. And it happened with myriad of the places. It happened with the Bernard Shaw. It happens with like every single place that we would list, the Tivoli. Like they were all ticking, ticking clocks, really, you know, ticking down to the end. And while they were there, everyone enjoyed them. You go to the Tivoli to dance, you went to Bernard Shaw to dance, you went to like have fun. I've met some of my favorite musicians and people that I hang out with to this day in these places like 10, 12 years ago. I, we're all grateful for the that. And that's I'm sure still existing. Like I I wouldn't be under any illusions is the fact that that still exists out there and I'm not aware of it it's more just the transient nature of it right it's like how can we create a structure whereby like the arts are, are seen on a level that other industries are that's the conversation that I'd love to try and get started here at some point because I think until that happens 
that sort of transient nature is still going to continue. So those, those kids are still going to thrive. Like people are still going to find the spots because musicians don't need much to thrive, but I'd just love to see them thrive in spaces that they know are going to be there in 10, 12 years. Yeah. I, I guess we've seen it happen so often, like as well down in Cork. I mean, I, I think the, the Cork equivalent of say block T would have been the old Foss building, which was knocked. And then it was literally called rubble mountain because they just left the rubble build up and then they just flattened it behind behind it. So you can't actually see it, but it's still just rubble. It was like they knocked this great art space and they haven't built anything in its place. And it was like, you could have left it up for maybe another couple of years. And I guess what I would worry about is that, yeah, musicians are resilient and they'll find new places, but those places might be outside the city center. And then it's the cities that suffer. And then it's just kind of like, what are we doing here? Like, what is the... Like the future, I think that I'm a little bit of a pessimist and that I would really worry about the, say, the future of a city. And if it doesn't have a thriving creative cultural heart at its core, like what is it for? I don't know if you feel similar. I do. I do. Like I live in the city center and I guess I saw it through all different stages in the last 12 months. Like I have a studio down on the Liffey and um from probably January to March or April, the city was just like a ghost town. And I think the, like we talked about it as well, like um, in the studio that day that like there was like an edginess to the city because there was just all, all that was left was like its inhabitants. And there was this sort of sense of desolation around everything and everyone. And it became quite edgy and quite like unnerving to be around it. And it still has that feel like I was out on Saturday after I was recording a TV show when we were drinking in an outdoor area. And it's just, it's like wild. It's just like, you know, the city just has a wildness to it right now. Obviously it's, it's sort of bizarre circumstances. It's not normal and stuff like that, but there does feel like there is a shift in the mood in the city and a shift in the culture. There's this prevailing thought that everybody's trying to get out of the city now. And, and it like, and you know, like you take this conversation wider and it becomes about rent and it becomes about like the opportunities for people to purchase homes you look at other countries and like you look at other like if you were to compare Dublin, I, I suppose, as like what the polar opposite would be probably Berlin in terms of like how they, they treat the, the culture, treat arts. But also if you look at it wider as in terms of like the way that they treat from like the perspective of what I was talking about there, like rental and, and home ownership, there is like a connection there, right? Like that doesn't get talked about like that. In Berlin, it's totally normalized to rent for your entire life or to live in an apartment. Like here, it's like if you were, were to live in an apartment, it's like there's something wrong. Like, you know what I mean? There's this prevalent mo- thought or like conversation that comes from the government that's like own a home, own a home, own a home. So if you own an apartment, it's like you've done something wrong in your life. It's just crazy headed notion. And you look at other countries and it's like you go to continental Europe and People live in cities, they live in close proximity and they live happily and culture coexists with it much more happily and much more thriving than it does here because that's what the government said. They say like, we're in this together, there's this more sense. And I'm under no illusions. I'm sure all those, those places have their own issues and their own situations. If we're talking about it specifically within this paradigm, then I think that other places have it much better figured out than we do. And all that we're doing now, all that the, the government here is doing now is just driving the notion that culture is a little valueless and also linked to the idea that like living in a city is kind of valueless even when Michal Martin said specifically about when that that, uh, cuckoo fund like came in and bought that estate and it all of a sudden became part of the, the, the conversation here even though for 
seven or eight years, they've been doing that actively in the cities and they haven't batted an eyelid. And he even said, like, obviously, we still want them to be in the cities. We still want these companies to come in and buy up these apartments in the cities because who else will buy them? And it was like, what a ridiculous idea, like, like that you're just that, that you're propagating this notion that it's 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 cities are these desolate wastelands and that everybody should try and get out into the countryside. Whereas in other countries, they're creating this space and they're working with their cultural figureheads or whomever else or on the ground or like from inception point they're working with people and holding their hands through the process and saying if we create these spaces for you you can thrive in them and you look I you know I've traveled all over Europe for 10 years and I've seen it day in day out and it, and it doesn't exist here it just doesn't physically exist there's no cooperation no comp no conversation that's back and forth between the arts and and the government or the councils on any level and it's just really disappointing to see I think do you see your future personally still in Dublin or do you, do you think eventually you'll be pushed out or anything like that? I mean, like I'm in a different situation. Like I, like I have a house in the city and I also have the opportunity to have places in other countries if I want. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm again, I'm under no illusion as to like my conversation is coming from a place of privilege at this point. Like I've worked hard for 10, 12 years and I've put myself in a position, but that's, literally what it took like so I, I I am afforded the opportunity to choose whether I want to live here or live in the country or live in another country but that's also a conversation that I've had with my family is whether we go to another country because I find this quite frustrating because I want to live in the city I've always wanted to live in Dublin city it was always my dream to own a home here and I love it I love being here but also I love culture and I love like the ability to be amongst other you know cultural entities or, or, or like be at galleries and be at shows and again it's a weird time so it's not like any of that is possible for any but when it comes back I just don't see it here as much as I used to and I'm still pretty much in the middle of the city so I, I think if I saw if it was there I would notice it I was talking to someone that works for me the other day and they were like why would anyone live in Dublin city and they just said it so offhand and I get it. Like they live out in, in, in Wicklow, very pastoral, like by the sea. They have a great time. But I was like, yeah, but the city is amazing. Like I, I, I would like I'll stand Dublin City until the day I die. Like I, like I love it here. I've loved it my entire life. It's the only place I've ever really wanted to be. Even last year, I was trying to like, like, you know, make music happen, like make music here. The reason I, I, I started renting the studio in the city was because I wanted to bring Irish musicians through but it's the same thing again. It's like, ultimately, like my brain starts leading me back to like going to London or going to LA to do work because that's just, again, where the infrastructure is. So it's all part of this, this sort of nexus of like, like stuff where like, I want to be here, but only really under ideal circumstances. And those ideal circumstances aren't outlandish. It's not an outlandish conversation to suggest that like we should have better infrastructure for musicians that that the music industry here or the arts industry in general should have more of a, a a lobbying group speaking on its behalf that we should deal with this from more from an economic perspective and talk about what we bring on an economic level so that we have a standing and a footing that's comparable to the vintners association or property or like whatever it happens to be right now that doesn't exist here so your brain just starts leading you away from dublin it just inevitably happens and it's and it's really sad i don't want that to happen it's just my reality is i'm I'm a busy person that likes to make a lot of music. And if the opportunity to do that is limited here, the opportunity to find artists and people, if I want to do more work is limited here, 
then I kind of have to go somewhere else. I, I guess uh, it's it's harder as well for say a musician on your level that's like got a new album who's got like a tour planned who's going to be away from Dublin for like weeks and months at a time like to actually think about the creation of a, say a musicians union or something like that but do you think that 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 is something that needs to be created is it something that you would like to push for I would push for a unified voice that speaks on behalf of this industry for sure i think there's a lot of different groups doing a lot of good work i think you have you have but they all serve specific agendas you know like if you've got someone like imro you've got like first music contact you have all rap you have all these people but their purview is to like you know some of them are basically collection agencies that also have lobbying voices within that that work and sometimes if the you know if the venn diagram lines up the middle of that Venn diagram is helpful to everybody involved. But a lot of the times everyone's just doing their own thing. And I think that's the issue is that you have a lot of these really smart people and a lot of these really smart groups, but the Venn diagram very rarely lines up. So it's very rare that they all speak with one unified voice in one unified direction. And I think that's the problem is that like, it's probably hard to find that unified voice. I think I'm under no illusion again about what's possible, but I think, because I've been here for the last 18 months, like everybody else, I've probably seen it on a grand level in a way that I probably hadn't before. You know, I was probably a bit oblivious to it. I used to float back into Dublin after coming off tour and I would have like rose tinted glasses on. I'd feel really good about it. Now I just look at it and I think, oh, like there's, when I'm in other countries and I see the way the industries act and it's such a big business and, and music and commerce are tricky bedfellows, but there's a, an understanding that like it is money it is revenue it is job creation it's all of these things and i think that those conversation pieces should be inserted a little bit more readily into into the into the situation i think that that's probably the start point is to like talk about it as a business last year when it, the industry shut down there was a press release released and it said something about the ticket sales that had been lost it was a number that was like a decent number. It was maybe like 40, 50 million euros. And it made me so mad because they didn't talk about for every one euro of tickets that get sold, how many euros in drink or food or transportation or job, like it's probably 20 to one in terms like, so that number 50 million could have been closer to like 500 million. They, like, but we're such honest brokers. They chose to just talk about that one binary figure. And I just thought, who's who's coming up with these press releases? Like, you're selling yourself so short. Like, what does music bring to this country? It's And not just music, but art and culture in general, film, television. Like, look what we've made here. Huge things. It's not, you know, it's a bit pie in the sky to think that this can all be unified together. Everyone else has, everyone has their own agendas. I have my own agenda. If it lines up again with other people's, it's great. If not, then I do my own thing. But I'm... I'm th at this point and with like the co-living culture thing, like all I'm trying to do, all we're trying to do is just put our hand up and say like, like we're here and like, we'd like to start a, a conversation that just even just celebrates the notion of, of our culture. And then maybe is a talking point that leads into something more, you know? Yeah. Like li listening to Renegator, what I was wondering is where would this be played live? Just because like Jam Park closed down a couple of weeks ago, I've, I've, talked about it with um mark o'brien royal yellow on this podcast yeah, before and i think that Mark. 
it was, it, it's kind of something I was asking him as well. It's like, where exactly do the dance artists go now? Because Jam Park was supposed to be the place, the place yeah. to bring big international acts for like Irish acts making to the, the next step up. And now it's suddenly gone. And it's just like, man, if that place is gone, like what is going to be left for artists, say of maybe a dance orientation, but also in general, like post pandemic, you'd be walking around Dublin and you'll just be like, Man, there's a lot of places gone, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like every time I turn the street, like I see another co-living building that I was aware of or wasn't aware of that like just popped up. It seems like they just pop up overnight. I live in Dublin 8 and I live near a square that used to have an incredible spot on it. And it's just been idle for like five or six years while they slowly get to it to turn it into something. And these are the places where those songs would have been played because like three or four times a year, there would have been like a really good club night in this venue at Christmas time. There was a really amazing night. These are like great places that just like don't exist. And I do a lot of, I mean, I, I tend to do a lot of work with, with dance artists. Like if I'm writing and stuff like that, like last year I did a lot of work with a lot of dance artists, like international acts, just because I like doing it and it's fun. And, and like, I work with a lot of different artists from a lot of different genres, but because this is a dance song, we would talk a lot about their experiences playing in Ireland and they had a lot of happy memories, but they all tend like, I, I would say almost every single one of them was about a place that no longer exists. Like, you know, a lot of, like really lovely nostalgic conversation about Dublin and how, well, how it used to be an amazing place to play, but it very much felt like it was in the, in the rear view a little bit. And I'm sure there are other places that will make those opportunities available for those artists to come through. It might just be a little bit more mainstreamy. It might not be as like underground as it used to be. And I think that that underground culture is like, you know, people that read this talk, listen to me talk about underground culture. They're probably like, like, what are you talking about? But like everybody comes from a, an underground, you know what I mean? That's the truth. Like we all come from a start point that isn't grand and isn't profound. And if that doesn't exist, if it's on that more sort of like, you know, mainstream corporate level where you start, then you're maybe missing those steps that you got to take where you got to play that show where you were bad and you got to learn from it, but it was all good because the spirit was right in the venue, right? Like, and it just didn't really matter. That place, that, that shit is so important to the growth of a musician, especially to the growth and the longevity of a career. And if that doesn't exist, if those places don't exist, then I don't know where that comes from because, you know, like you can get a lot of streams and you get a lot of stuff, but like it's still, those fundamentals are still really important to that type of career and that type of trajectory and right now, there aren't a lot of places where that tune like Renegator could get played. And, and that's why we chose to, to make it, because we were just like, let's make the most like ratchet, big dance 90s house tune that we could think of with a conversation that's like, try and think about the places that you would hear this and tell me if you can think of any we could like, that are open and exist right now, because like we'd love to know about it. So, so you knew um, before you started recording that, yeah, it's going to be a big dance track. That was the plan from the outset. Yeah, like we like like there's a bunch of different stuff that I I had been working on within this sort of like co-living culture idea, and it all just sounded really big and really silly. It kind of gave us a bit of cover. Like obviously, like what I'm known for is what I'm known for. You know, David is building a studio and was trying to do interesting stuff everyone's doing their own thing and like it was never meant to be like a, a specific locked in group of people there's always supposed to be different people coming and going like um, you know the intention is to release more stuff with more people more you know irish acts involved in a, in a way that again mirrors 
that collective idea of what used to exist and, and, and does still exist. I don't want to keep it sounding super nostalgic, like, oh, it used to be this way and it doesn't exist anymore. I know that it does still exist. I just know that it's harder for it to exist now. And a lot of those collectives that are trying to build stuff here, probably finding it a lot more difficult than it would have been 10 years ago when like the country was in a different place and you could just get away with a lot more on a cultural level. But yeah, we, the goal was to just like try and make big, fun, silly stuff involve a lot of people that we would have crossed paths with in the last year that I'm like, I might not have crossed paths with otherwise and just try and like bring it to like a fun place that just celebrates the culture in a really like unifying way. So this is kind of the the latest output from, say, The Clinic, that studio that David um, works yeah. with. You also released Out the Gaff last year with Denise and Circa and God Knows as well. Is that something that you're that you're more interested in at the moment is kind of these collaborations with these kind of up and coming acts and kind of bringing them all together and almost creating, I don't know, a nice swirl of creativity? Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, like, had we had this conversation about the co-living culture last year, I think we would have put that under that name, too, because it ticks the box for us in terms of, like, joyous music made by Irish people that celebrates the idea of being alive right now for all the, you know, pluses and minuses that come with that. But, like, that, that sort of wasn't the inception point of it. But when I started doing those sessions last year, it was driven by a desire to connect with people because I'd spent a year like you had and everybody else had making like, or like six, seven months, excuse me, making no connections, no tangible like conversations in real time. And wanting that sort of connection again, led me to chatting to David about like, I just wanted to rent his studio. So I just hit him up and was like, if I just rent your studio for blocks of time, like four or five days here, four or five days there, and I just populate it with people that I'm a fan of, people that have hit me up and I haven't had time to work with otherwise. And I now find myself here and, and available and eager to work with Irish artists. Like, let's just do it. So it was sort of, that was the, the, the point of it was to have no point. You know, it wasn't to, 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 to achieve anything. Like when we did Out the Gaff, the room was just felt really good. I was going through a folder of beats that I had just done the week before in my studio and that one just came up and everybody just immediately gravitated towards it so like it, you know it came together in an hour literally in an hour like it was like it's full of flaws and it's full of imperfections like you know we mixed it ourselves I'm not a mix engineer like it was never designed to be this big profound thing it was just designed to capture a mood in a room and it was the same with Renegator it was designed to capture that mood in the room that day where we were talking about Ireland and what it is and what it could be and what we want it to be more specifically. And this song just came and these other ideas are coming that are based on this, these conversations that I'm trying to just start. I'm reaching out to friends of mine, you know, like I'm hitting like Irish artists, like big time acts, not to ask them to work on it, just to be like, what's your memory of being in a place in Dublin? Do you have any photos of it? Because I'd love to share them and, you know, like having conversations and everybody coming back is the same. It's like last year in the studio, everybody wants to be part of it because everybody misses that connection. Everybody wants to feel that sense of like togetherness again. So like we're sort of just trying to ride that wave a little bit with these sessions and just see where it goes. Are you allowed to say any other Irish acts or acts that you're working with for, for the next stuff? There's a couple more that we have in the folder that like need to go back on. And, and I think we'll just kind of like try and treat it as organically as possible. Like that's why I liked Renegator. That's why I was happy for us to do this. It wasn't contrived. Like I just started playing the bass line and David just had the drums and it just came very organically in the same way that um, Out the Gaff did. 
And when things happen like that, I'm very, very comfortable to release them in a very unadorned way. I don't really feel like I need the bells and whistles with them, like as opposed to my own work, which obviously comes with years and years of like, you know, my new detail and, and all these different things that go with it. So it's, it's, it's a nice counterpoint to my own career to do it. And like what will happen with the ideas is like, if David comes to me with an idea or if anyone comes to me with an idea, this is basically where I am with this project is like, if someone I don't know comes to me with an idea and is like, I have this tune, really want to, like, I would love to put it out under this co-living culture umbrella. I'm open to the conversation because I really think that there's an opportunity to just do some stuff that has a sense of like, I don't know, nihilism or something to it. Like, you know, like this isn't done from like a economic or like, or, you know, like pursues. I'm not like looking to make money off this. We're not looking to do anything other than to just have some fun at a time when fun is in short supply. Yeah. Just say comparing when you started out and it was all very much just James Vincent McMorrow. Now you're working with all of these people on, on this kind of side project. And as well as that, you're also working on the likes of Rudimental on your latest stuff as well. Like are collaborations just something that you've naturally gone for more? It's just you want to work with more people rather than just being a solo artist. Yeah, I think when I made the when I started on the third album, collaboration became very much part of like my workflow. Like up to that point, I was like a, a bit of an island. Um, but that is just, you know, you have to think about music as, as a career. And I think that involves asking yourself a lot of questions about your own interaction with it, what you want to achieve, how you want to achieve it. And if you're happy with what you've done in the past, like, so when I made my first album, obviously like my expectations were like, I was I had, I, like, I was like, obviously really believed in the work and stuff like that, but it was coming from, you know, that zero point that I'm talking about to you about like when I was like opening for the opening act in Whelan's and doing all these different things. And then it levels up and your reputations change and your goals change, your agendas change, money becomes part of it. All these different things, conversations that you never really thought about just sort of naturally and organically find their way into the conversation and it changes. But I've always tried to think about this as a career and about the musical growth and the, what, what I'm here for. Like, I don't, I feel quite strongly anyone that knows me or anyone that's ever read an interview with me, which granted isn't a lot, I don't do a lot of them, but I'm very bullish about pushing myself and pushing music as much as I can, while also like maintaining my own, you know, mental well-being, which means like, I, you still have to push yourself within the prism of what's possible for you. But like, I just, developed a love of working with people on the third album when I worked with like like my friend um, 1985 who produced a lot of that stuff with me and he really opened my eyes to you know I guess my own limitations you know um that he was getting the places that I would have I was dreamt of getting to and he was getting there so much easier because he is a professional that you know produces records day in day out and I'm a songwriter and a singer that has also produced, but more out of necessity than waking up in the morning and like thinking, yes, let's do that. Like, it was always just like, didn't have the vocabulary to get in a room and really articulate what I wanted. So it just sort of became the thing. And then it was almost like I was a hero in my own story where I was just like, I'm just doing this all myself. You know, like people go like, oh, who played that? And you go, I played that. And it's like this thing that just like a cycle of like making things and people giving you like applause for doing these things. And you think that's amazing. But you're like, what? this isn't, this isn't the career that I wanted or anticipated. I wanted something that was more widescreen and, and involved more voices and allowed for more possibility. So that's sort of where it started. 
And then coupled with that, the fact that I get asked to write songs for a lot of people and I do produce records for people from time to time just became more part of my day to day life as my own career kind of expanded through that third record. I just just, you know, like so with 85, like, you know, he he did the he has a project called Division and I wrote songs for him for that that project, which I love doing. And then other things came from that. Like I like I helped him with the Drake record on that out coming out of the project, that project. And I just loved it. And then with the my like last album, I just kind of was in this zone of just like wanting to reach out to everybody and talk and meet with everybody and work with everybody because I was in a position being on a major label where I didn't really have to think about the the finances of that for for the first time in my life. So I was like, what else can I make this do, I guess, you know, and then you just start meeting more people and more things. And, you know, like, like we're writing songs for rudimental and doing stuff like that. It's just, they're just little organic things that happen along the way. Now I find myself sort of like my, my day is almost 50, 50, like my own career and writing and producing for other people now, because that to me feels like a well-rounded career and a well-rounded day. And it's just more like, pleasant <laughs> like it's 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 nice to work with other people i know that sounds ridiculously derivative but it's just nice to be around people and to like spark off people it's it's turns out it's way better than being in a room crying by yourself <laughs> <laughs> i don't know when like the last actual proper solo show you would have done would have been but i'm presuming that it's just a lot more joyous now like when you walk out at ivy gardens albeit you know with only 500 people you'd love to be playing to thousands of people with the band that you had but it was a full i think it was 10 10 people all together on stage like yeah. brass section and like full band and backing singers and everything and it must just feel like i don't know it must just be absolutely amazing to have all of these people with you who are just like that you're that you're bringing along on the journey as well that it must just be such a nice feeling to be able to do that yeah, I mean, I would say that I think to a degree they're bringing me along on a journey as much as I'm bringing them. Like, and I don't, again, I know that might read as cliche, but that's not my intention. Like, I really... Like giving new feeling do, to to the old song sort of thing. They're just fucking incredible. They're just such good musicians. Like, you know, I like I, I consider myself a pretty decent musician, but like they just like, a lot of them just wipe the floor at me. Like they're, they're masters of their own field. And in the past, this is like a lovely aspect of Dublin and, and the Irish music scene here is it's so populated with unbelievable players now. Like when I was starting 10 years ago, I couldn't find a drummer. Like for my first album, like if anyone came to some shows, I had some ropey drummers because I just physically couldn't find someone because there just wasn't, everyone was either in a band or like they were coming from that band mentality, which meant you didn't, you didn't have to be that good. You didn't have to be like that. And I'm just like, I'm not James Brown in my sort of like rigidity, but like, I like musicians to act on a certain or be on a certain level and to just do what I want them to do. And for a long time, that was really hard to find, to be perfectly frank. They were just like, they were, it was a great spirit and great feeling that we had on those first couple of albums. But when I brought in players and they came through BIM, like Joe, who plays bass for me, and Theo, who plays keys, and they just like changed the whole paradigm. They just sort of professionalized the notion and the idea around the day and they made everything just inherently better. I didn't have to hold their hands through anything and that's just gotten better and better and better and like bringing in jake on guitar Kean as second drummer these are all like unbelievable unbelievable players paul who was already my drummer was an unbelievable musician but like he even sees it he's like well, this these guys are just they just think about it like in a really smart business-like way which again like i said earlier business and art are funny but they just know 
the they have the formula they have the ratio well figured out like they're in it for the right reasons the same reasons we all are but they've just come up in a way that's like know the part do the part just crush it and then bringing in the horn section was always something i wanted to do and they're part of the setup now i i think they're just amazing it's a joy like i've i would go so far as to say like i've never i don't know if i've ever truly had fun on a stage before in the pre-covid times like unless it was by myself because I've always just wanted it to be that little bit better or to be that little bit slicker. And I'm, I'm part of that problem too. I'm not saying that it was the musicians that were the, the problem, but like having this group of people and locking them in and seeing the way they worked going into that Ivy garden show and being able to exist on that stage, almost like as a passenger in their show felt amazing. Like I just got to do my thing. I just got to sing. I play guitar. If I don't play guitar, it does, does not, the structure of the song doesn't fall apart. They're fucking amazing. And, and that is again, to bring it back to the conversation around the co-living culture and the renegated thing was like they're people i feel a huge amount of responsibility to i feel an obligation to represent them and take care of them to pay them to be a vocal proponent of what they do does that i don't know if that exists enough here like i don't know if there's enough people in my position that turn around and go like irish music what can i do for you and I think that that's something that does need to happen more because we're all in our own little islands, all doing our own little things. I happen to have been here for the last year and a half. I happen to be surrounded by all these incredible musicians and I wanted to put them on. I wanted to put them in a position where they could really show what they could do with the Ivy Garden show and beyond, you know? And I think that that's, that is required. You know, I, I, I feel like that is a requirement. That is a job requirement of mine to be there like shout from the rooftops advocate to be like Irish music is fucking unbelievable and Irish studios now are getting really great and the musicians here are unbelievable and look what they can do great yeah um yeah I've, I've always felt that and it does feel like um more people are starting to take notice as well like I mean with Denise Child and all eyes on Denise Child it's just like uh oh yeah she's she's going places just just you wait and see but um from your own perspective are you kind of almost in a holding pattern at the moment you're like almost rubbing your thighs rubbing your hands together you're like oh just make it like in a month's time or a couple of weeks time you've got a gig at um Latitude Festival and things yeah. starting to get back to normal you've got your new album coming out in september as well like you just kind of you almost want this summer to be over that you can just like get back to get back to things what a weird thing to want summer to be over like i just i love the doing the co-living culture thing and doing all these other projects in the last year has made me so happy and doing my own thing has has not like it's because I'm so used to being able to get on planes and go places and do things. And so pushing the album to September was like, I just can't, I've, mentally I've really been struggling with the reality of having to wait because I've never been good at waiting. Like I've always wanted, like when I've just, when I make something, I want it to come out when it feels fresh. So I keep going back to, in order to keep the album fresh, I keep going back and changing it and adding songs to it to try and make it better. And I really want it to be in the world, but I also want to be able to go and see people and do things because that was always like the lifeblood of my career. Like in the beginning, all the way through was being able to go to places and play shows and, and have conversations and talk about the music in a really kind of organic way. And that's just kind of not possible now. So it's really frustrating. It's a, fucking frustrating time 
for people like me, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's, it's an, it's a good time for like, if you're new, you can, you can do stuff and it's fine. You know, like the, the, the expectations are relative, you know, like there's no, like, you need to do this. You can just go. And, and it's lovely. Like even working with newer people, like you can see it, they're just like putting out songs really fast. And it's like, there's no commercial expectation on it and stuff like that. But obviously, and then if you're a gigantic act that just thrives at radio, that really hasn't changed that much for you. So that's fine. But anybody else that's in, there's like this huge middle. And I talk to people every day, like big artists that are like sitting on albums, can't do anything. We just have to kind of wait because we need that big, thick middle <laughs> to be that. That's kind of where we thrive and where we've done our business. So yeah, like I think it's a strange time. I'm excited for September. I'm excited to do some shows. I'm hopeful that, you know, things will, write themselves and get back to normal it's kind of weird it's a very cognitively dissonant time i don't know how you feel but like you know i have friends in the uk and the us that are like planning these gigantic shows in like july august and here there's not even a conversation really about anything you know it sort of says something about 200 outdoors or whatever but it's not specific it seems like it might be more designed towards the sports arena than it is towards music so it's a very strange time to be watching the rest of the world sort of have conversations about stuff and we're stuck in this bizarre holding pattern yeah like i mean i was lucky enough to get to your show in ivy gardens a couple of weeks ago i was lucky enough to go to um the pilot festival in royal hospital kilmainham at the weekend as well but how was that uh it was it was a load of railings i don't know if you saw the pictures but it was just like You, you know, when at Ivy Gardens, it was um, all X's on the ground and stuff. Um, yeah. This time there were railings all around those kind of pods. So visually, I thought it looked pretty awful. And and also for the bands, you, you know, like the crowd goes down to the front for the acts that they want to go down the front for. And then they kind of yeah. go to the bar, or go to the sides or go to the hill and sit down for acts that they're not interested in. Whereas this time, you know... It was like, if if you're not interested in an act the, who's on the stage, you're still down the front. So it was kind of like the atmosphere was kind of lacking a little bit. But I was just talking about what's next. It's like, it seems like there's a lot of shows booked for September, October indoors in Ireland. And it's just like, if these are the tests that they're running in July, like you've got a huge amount of issues coming down the road in two months. It's going to be a hell of a lot of cancellations unless they figure yeah. unless they figure it out, unless they're just like, let's just vaccinate everybody. Let's just get everybody vaccinated and then we'll see where we are. Because right now I can't see indoor shows taking place in October. I, I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong. I, I, I hope you're wrong. But mm, I, I, me too. I, yeah, but, but I mean, I don't think it's a pessimistic view to think that it won't happen. I think it's just more... You have to just look at the reality of, of how it's gone over the last year in terms of like the conversation and the caution. And you have to extrapolate that wider and assume that that means that those shows can happen. But I don't know. Like you said, like if they just furiously vaccinate people and keep it going, maybe. But it, it just, you know, like I was speaking to one of the acts that played the show the other day, and obviously they'd included the antigen tests as part of it and I had wanted that for for my show but I think it was at that time where they were just being hyper cautious and it just got nixed in a conversation in a a cabinet meeting one day they just came out and were like it's not happening now so he was sort of like oh the fact that they've included this means that that's this is how they're going to roll it out right they're going to announce that like if you want to go to a show in the Olympia in September you have to do an antigen test but I don't 
think that that's realistic. Even I was looking at that show in the Netherlands where like 180 people caught COVID because they were all just like screenshotting their like negative tests and showing it on the way in. So no one had got like one person had gotten tested and then screenshot it like 300 times or something. And I just think like the like this country is just hasn't really shown that level of sort of like gung ho inness that they're suddenly going to be like, yeah, listen, let's let's roll the dice on that. So I think it's very much based on like the UK, if the UK gets back to normal and things there sort of normalize, we kind of have to maybe at one point have a conversation about that because if they're having shows and they're doing stuff and you can just go up, up north and play a show, then how feasible is it going to be for them to stop it happening down here? I don't know. It's all it's all variables and all question marks, but um, there's a lot of like performative acts like these shows they felt in hindsight, my show felt very much like a performative act. Like I was really positive the week leading up to it. I wanted my talking points to be very positive and pro my industry. And we had a conversation internally where I was like, rather than like start lobbing bombs at politicians and stuff like that, let's make the show the best thing that I can conceivably create within this very strict structure of what was possible to us to show like, this is what's possible. This is what music can bring, even in this stilted, ridiculously static environment we can still make those connections and i think we proved that point i think like during those bigger songs you could really see people and even during the when i was struggling to like connect with that person at the very very back who was by themselves during the slower songs you could still see that will and that desire for people because everyone has just missed this so much but in the aftermath of it it just sort of like dissipated it was no conversation i thought it was going to be like okay cool that's great now we're also going to have a reasonable conversation about how some some person that wants to sing, you know, a Kings of Leon cover song in a bar isn't going to be a vector for like a global spread of, you know, or a fourth wave or like if a, a band, there's like a jazz band in a hotel somewhere that they're not going to be responsible, but they've sort of just like said, we can do these things, but we're definitely not going to do those things. And like for musicians specifically, it feels so unfair because again, my concern isn't me. Like I'll be fine. My concern is like people starting out, like, those people working in those jazz bands, like loads of people that work for me worked in those bands when they were starting out. It, those are stepping stones. Those are the things that you get paid. You feel what it feels like to be a musician. And then you go to your rehearsal room and you make your music because you've got your money coming out of that. There's just this been sort of glib conversation. It's like, oh, you're on the PUP. You're fine. And it's like, that's not it. It's music. It's a fucking vocation. It's an obsession for people. So I was, I was yeah, I don't, very long-winded. I'm just chatting shit, but I just... I really, really wanted them to be more bullish because I thought even 20% more bullish is still unbelievably conservative and still at least shows that there is like an understanding that this is a huge industry that really matters to this country. And I think those shows, the way they've done them, unless I'm mistaken, and unless next week they roll out something that's much more ambitious while also sticking within the cautious guidelines that we have, which I think is possible, then I do think that it's just more sort of performative stuff than anything else we might end on something a little bit different to what we've been talking about uh you're a big sure. nba fan big basketball fan the nba finals yeah. are starting tonight uh it's very rare that i get to talk to people who are nba fans like in real life Wait, or yeah. over zoom so please just have the floor how, how do you see the finals going how have you been enjoying the season so far i i mean it's so hard to watch it because it's like two in the morning so i have to wake up every morning and watch highlight reels but i can't help but go on bleacher report and get the scores before i go so i'm like ruining it for myself but i think it's been amazing like i'm a i'm a huge chris paul fan so the fact that he's in a finals finally is like 
like if he'd gotten to the end of his career and he didn't get his flowers, I think there would always been that question mark. So, but I even feel like even if he doesn't win, like the fact that he came in, like when he signed his contract and Russell Westbrook signed his contract and everyone was like, look at these ridiculous contracts. These are going to hang over these, these teams like a weight. And he has with like proved it so wrong. I'm not saying Russell Westbrook hasn't, but the value that Chris Paul has, has shown uh, like what age is he 36 and he's coming up on this like 42 million dollar season and he goes into those teams and like he takes it so seriously and he like he scolds them but like in this really positive way like you hear like DeAndre Ayton coming out talking about like the first day he was in there just like do this do this the culture that that man is a proponent of so like I'm, I am sons all day long just because I love Chris Paul so much and I love that team I think Devin Booker is amazing. And I just, that's like, I still love, like, I think Giannis is incredible, is like, you know, obviously a unicorn. But I don't feel a sense of like, I think I, I just feel this weird sense of like heart and warmth for Phoenix. Does, does that make sense? Like, I don't have any, what's the the, the term? Does not, I don't have any dog in this hunt. Or I don't have any, like, I'm not, I have no reason to favor Phoenix. But Chris Paul, I just, I just love Chris Paul. I love his story arc. I just love the fact that like this whole season, they were just talking about like other people like Jokic as being like the MVP and he had an unbelievable season, but like, you know, it didn't work out for him in the postseason. And I, I think there's a flaw there. It always in that the MVP should carry over. They should take it in. It's like post like main season and postseason. I know that they have their own separate one, but he, he deserved the MVP because he added value to that team. They were like a fourth, fifth seed, maybe like if without him. But he like he just drove them all the way to the top. He like made them. I was surprised that they smoked everybody. I thought they were better than Utah. I, yeah, I, I fucking love Chris Paul and I love that team. So I really hope they win. Yeah. What do hard, you think? Do you- it's hard to begrudge uh, Chris Paul a ring. So like if Phoenix win and I think they probably will win probably in five. Yeah. It's great for Chris Paul personally. I would love to see Giannis get the ring because yeah. like you watch him play and I don't think there's a more exciting play in basketball than when he kind of goes back to the three point line and he's just bouncing the ball and you just see him like gathering this steam like a train yeah. and then he just barrels to the ring and it's just like you can put all five players in front of them. He will knock them over and he will dunk that ball because I, I, I just think he's amazing to watch and then he's got all of these mental struggles as well. Like watching him mm. uh, shoot the free throws is awful because he's just yeah. like so mentally, I don't know, it's all in his head and he takes yeah. he's taking like 15 30 seconds per throw like like from yeah. the time he steps to the line um so he's got all of these bad things about him but he was the mvp the past uh was he the mvp last regular season as well past two regular seasons yeah the last two regular seasons but he just stunk it up in the playoffs milwaukee just stunk yeah. it up so uh i think it'd be amazing for him to get it and if he gets it like who knows what the next eight years could be for him he could be like top 20 all-timer top 15 all-timer so i i would kind of like to see Giannis get it but the Buc- i get you yeah the bucks are just like this i don't know they're so frustrating to watch as well because you see uh pj tucker shooting all these all these three-pointers and you're like who decided that pj tucker should be shooting the three-pointers what are you doing yeah um yeah but yeah i'm looking forward to it but if Giannis isn't fit uh and it sounds like he's doubtful for game one uh i wouldn't hold much hope for the bucks no, I thought they did really well without him. I thought, like, you know, 
Chris Middleton especially really stand and Drew Holly really stepped up. But yeah, I'm the same. I, I think I love Giannis. I still think he like because he's so much younger than Chris Paul, and I think he has that is a good team. They've built it well. I think that if they ran it back last next year, I think even like all the injuries with other teams this year that kind of like people are saying derailed. I don't really agree with that. I still think those two teams would have come out on top, to be honest, because I know I love the Lakers. I love LeBron, but I just thought those two teams were the teams that deserve to be there. I felt like that transitional season, even with the Hawks, I think that that's such a young team. They've got five or six incredible wings. I think it just feels like there's a change in in the, the NBA towards these newer, fresher teams. And I think you could see that as well with the Clippers, where it felt like they sort of like genetically engineered a team a little bit and then bolted on a couple of players in the hopes that the two main stars would get them through and one of them disappears because he's but he's had injuries forever. It's not like this season is like is like Kawhi's injury season. Like every season since the last one in San Antonio, he's been in and out, in and out. So I just think it's it's that maybe if Giannis doesn't get it this season, I think if they run that that team back with those three main players and the supporting cast, like Brooke Lopez has been like, even like in that last game, like out of his mind good. Like I think that they've they found something that I think they can run back. So I'm hoping, I just hope the like Phoenix gets it because I think they're obviously they're a young team and they can do it as well. But I just Chris Paul's at that moment. And I'm just like, fuck it, just get it. Just get your ring. Yeah. Cool. Uh look, anytime that you okay. want to talk about NBA, feel free to uh feel free to come back on. We'll we'll chat as long as you want. I love it. <laughs> no one wants to yeah, no one wants to like ever talk about NBA. It was a surprise there. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Listen, thanks a million for uh taking so long out of your day and congratulations on co-living culture and everything that you have planned for that as well it sounds like it's going to be a, a great thing going into the future with um all of the collaborators that you're hoping to work with and best of luck with this show in the uk at latitude festival later this month and with the release of the album coming in september too it's gonna be it's gonna be a busy year yeah hopefully busy half a year anyway take it easy on <laughs>